Uh, Nehemiah uh, chapter number three is our scripture reading. Uh, Nehemiah was among the Jewish exiles living in Persia when God put into his heart an overwhelming burden to go to Jerusalem and revive the city as well as the people of God. In chapter number one, we see the burden planted in Nehemiah's heart. And in chapter number two, we see him leading with that God-given vision. As he took the opportunities that God had given him, he obviously planned and evaluated carefully how he would approach the task. And then he rallied the people around him to join with him in the work. Chapter 2 ended by Nehemiah declaring that the God of heaven will make us prosper and we as servants will arise and build. And so as we come to chapter 3, we move immediately into the actual work. And that is where we are here as we begin reading at Nehemiah chapter 3 and verse 1. Bear with me as we work through uh, this passage. Then Eliashib, the high priest, rose up with his brothers, the priest, and they built the sheep gate. They consecrated it and set its doors. They consecrated it as far as the Tower of Hundred, as far as the Tower of Hananel. And next to him, the men of Jericho built. And next to them, Zachar, the son of Imri, built, the sons of Hassanai built the fish gate. They laid its beams and set its doors, its bolts, and its bars. And next to them, Merimoth, the son of Uriah, the son of Hakaz, repaired. And next to them, Meshulam, the son of Berechiah, the son of Meshabel, repaired. And next to them, Zadok, the son of, I've been calling him banana all week, but... Bahana repaired, and next to them the Tekoites repaired, but their nobles would not stoop to serve the Lord. Jehoiada, the son of Passier, the and Meshulam, the son of Besodei, repaired the gate of Yeshana. They laid its beams and set its doors, its bolts, and its bars, and next to them repaired Melatia, the Gibeonite, and Jaden, the Maranathite, the men of Gibeon and of Mizbah, the seat of the governor of the province beyond the river. Next to them, Uziel, the son of Harhiah, goldsmiths, repaired. Next to him, Hananiah, one of the perfumers, repaired, and they restored Jerusalem as far as the broad wall. Next to them, Rephai, the son of Hur, ruler of half the district of Jerusalem, repaired. Next to them, Jediah, the son of Haramuth, repaired opposite his house. And next to him, Hadash, the son of Hashabaniah, repaired. Malchajah, son of Haram, and, son, and Hashab, the son of Paath Moab, repaired another section in the Tower of the Ovens. Next to him, Shalem, the son of Halawish, ruler of half the district of Jerusalem, repaired he and his daughters. Hanan and the inhabitants of Zenoa repaired the valley gate. They rebuilt it and its doors, its bolts, and its bars, and repaired a thousand cubits of the wall as far as the dung gate. 
Malchijah, the son of Rechab, ruler of the district of Beth Hakarim, repaired the dung gate. He rebuilt it and set its doors, its bolts, and its bars. And Shalom, the son of Col Jose, ruler of the district of Mizpah, repaired the fountain gate. He rebuilt it and covered it, set its doors, its bolts, and its bars. And he built the wall of the pool of Shelah, of the king's garden, as far as the stairs that go down from the city of David. After him, Nehemiah, the son of Azbuk, ruler of half the district of Beth-zur, repaired to a point opposite the tombs of David, as far as the artificial pool and as far as the house of the mighty men. After him, the Levites repaired. Rehum, the son of Bani, next to him, Hashabiah, ruler of half the district of Kali, repaired for his district. After him, their brothers repaired. Bavai, the son of Hinadad, ruler of half the district of Kali. Next to him, Ezer, the son of Jeshua, ruler of Mizbah, repaired another section opposite the ascent to the armory at the buttress. After him, Baruch, the son of Zabiah, repaired another section from the buttress to the door of the house of Elishib, the high priest. After him, Merimoth, the son of Uriah, Son of Hakos repaired another section from the door of the house of Elishab to the end of the house of Elishab. After him, the priests, the men of the surrounding area repaired. After them, Benjamin and Hashab repaired opposite their house. After them, Azariah, the son of Messiah, son of Ananiah, repaired beside his own house. After him, Benui, the son of Hinadad, repaired another section from the house of Azariah to the buttress to the corner. Palau, the son of Uzziah, repaired opposite the buttress and tower projecting from upper house of the king in the court of the guard. After him, Padiah, the son of Perash, and the temple servants living in Ophel, repaired to a point opposite the water gate and on the east and the projecting tower. After him, the Tekoites repaired another section opposite the great projecting tower as far as the wall of Ophel. Above the horse gate, the priests repaired, each one opposite his own house. After them, Zadok, the son of Emmer, repaired opposite his own house. After him, Shemaiah, the son of Shekaniah, the keeper of the east gate, repaired. After him, Hananiah, the son of Shelemiah, the, and Hanan, the sixth son of Zalaph, repaired another section. After him, Meshulam, the son of Berechiah, repaired opposite his chamber. After him, Malchajai, one of the goldsmiths, repaired as far as the house of the temple servants and of the merchants opposite the muster gate and to the upper chamber of the corner and between the upper chamber of the corner and the sheep gate, the goldsmiths and the merchants repaired. Well, if you uh, uh, miss something in that, you're on your own because I'm not going back to do that again. <laughs> now, let's be honest. Passages like this can be extremely difficult to focus on. I mean, let's be honest. We tend to look at it more like an appendix at the back of a book than we do an actually chapter filled with helpful information. The last thing I do on Sunday nights before I go to bed is I read whatever we're going to be studying on uh, Wednesdays. And so right before turning the lights out, I read Nehemiah chapter 3 and said, Lord, I am going to need your help with this one. Because it comes across as boring, monotonous, unnecessary, difficult to even read. In fact, I would assume... That like me, there have been times in your own Bible reading that you have simply skipped over chapters like this. All right? I've done it. I know you've done it. It's, it's natural. But we have to remember that all Scripture is inspired by God. All of it. 
And it is profitable for us. That means it's here for a purpose. And the purpose of Nehemiah chapter 3, the overwhelming theme of this chapter is the subject of working together. Working together. And it's not just about working together on a physical building project. It's about God's people working together to fulfill God's purposes for his glory. When I read this chapter and I think about working together, two New Testament passages come to mind. The first one, 1 Corinthians 3, 9. For we are God's fellow workers. We are God's fellow workers, or as the King James translation says, we are laborers together with God. The very first sermon I ever preached in 2008, July the 6th, I believe it was, with 36 people sitting in this room was the sermon, Labors Together. We have a calling, the calling to labor. Uh, we have cooperation. We're to do it together. And we have confidence. We labor together with God, with God. It's a call for us to come together and do the work of God in unison. And another New Testament passage that comes to mind is Philippians 1.27. Stand firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Both of these passages, 1 Corinthians 3, Philippians chapter 1, they remind us that in order for God's kingdom to be expanded both in us and around us, we must work together. And I emphasize that again. We must work together for the glory of God. Amen. Nehemiah chapter 3 is about the church family coming together. It's about the church family working together and collectively getting the job that God has called us to do done. It's a physical illustration of Paul's message in Ephesians chapter 4. Paul said in verse 16, when the whole body, that is the church, when the whole body is joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, each part working properly, it will make the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. That's what the New Testament teaches us about this we enjoy in the church. And we see a physical illustration of that here in Nehemiah chapter 3. So I want to reiterate that what was going on in Jerusalem 2,500 years ago in Nehemiah chapter 3 is equally important for what God wants to do here in Charlotte in 2023. And so we need to learn from them, the essential characteristics that can be reproduced here among us as we strive to work together for the glory of God. Four, four things, and maybe a fifth one if we have time, but at least four things that I want to share with you about what we learn here in Nehemiah chapter 3 from a monotonous, repetitive section of Scripture. First one is total involvement. Total involvement. The work in Nehemiah chapter 3 was an all-hands-on deck environment, or maybe I should say all hands on the wall environment. Nehemiah and his leadership and the people and their commitment understood that this work could not be done by one person. In fact, it couldn't even be done by just a few people. 
It would only be effectively accomplished when everyone came together volunteering for the work. So what we have here is not the environment of a sporting event like a football game with 70,000 spectators in the stands in desperate need of exercise while 22 people are on the field in desperate need of rest. That's not what we have here. You know, it's often said that in the average church, 20% of the people do 80% of the work. 20% of the people do 80% of the work. Now, I do not believe that that is statistically true for our ministry. Now, we could do better than what we're doing, but I don't think we fit the average 2080 rule. But I know it's not the situation in Nehemiah chapter 3. In fact, when you consider all the names we just read, and those names actually represent other names that are not even mentioned but inferred, we find out that this is a massive volunteer movement, a massive movement of volunteers who have come together to be involved in the work of God. And that's something we've emphasized, as I mentioned a moment ago with 1 Corinthians chapter 3, it's something we've emphasized since day one. And I think because we've emphasized it, since the very day that we began, our church has risen to the occasion over and over again as it relates to the need and work and involvement that we require. I mean, we've had pastors, and my wife can attest to this and others who've overheard these men speak, we, we've had pastors from churches three times our size come to our church, observe our volunteers, and then express with amazement how unable they are to get the same number of people to serve in their own ministries. So we ought to be commended for the way in which we see the needs and take the leads and serve and volunteer and work in different capacities, but we cannot take that commendation and let up on any level. Just because they've observed those things doesn't mean we don't have holes or vacancies that need filled. It doesn't mean that there aren't sections of the wall, if you will, that we need some of you to come help us with. We can oftentimes look at the number of people serving in a ministry like ours and convince ourselves that the church doesn't need me. But if you think this church in particular doesn't need your involvement, it may be because you're only looking to serve in ways that best benefit you rather than for the benefit of the whole body. If we're going to make an impact for the kingdom of God here in this little place God has put us, we must have total involvement from our church family. As we say in our membership classes, and probably needs to be echoed more and more, every member of this church is a minister of this church. Every member is a minister. Study Acts. You'll see it over and over again. When sinners were converted to Christ, they were then baptized and then added to the membership, and then they were involved in the ministry of the church. They weren't converted, baptized, added, and then not seen again. They were converted, baptized, added, and involved in the ministry of the church. So, so let us just be reminded tonight from Nehemiah chapter 3 that following Jesus is not a call to be spectators, but to be participators. We're not called to sit. We're called to serve. 
And I believe that God is most glorified in his people collectively when we work together. Total involvement. Total involvement. It means that every individual, not just the youngins, every individual, not just those who have more time, but every individual ought to take responsibility for something. For something. Imagine in this day going out to the coffee shop and perhaps, perhaps coming uh, to, uh, to Joadai, mentioned in verse 6, and say, Hey, Joadai, what ministry team are you on? Well, I work over here by the old gate. That's where I'm serving. I'm working on the wall of the old gate. Maybe you later at the restaurant ran into uh, Malkesia. And you ask Malkesia, where, where do you serve on the wall? Well, I, I work at the Dungate. I serve in this location. I serve in that location. Here's how long I've been doing it. Here's how much we're getting done. I don't think you would have ran into very many Jewish people in those days who didn't tell you what part of the wall they were working on. But I wonder if someone asked you, where, where do you serve? What ministry team are you on? Where, where are you involved? Where are you involved? Where are you involved? How would you respond? Now we see here in Nehemiah chapter 3 that it takes total involvement. Total involvement. Secondly, it takes Willing servants. Willing servants. Now, looking through this chapter, you see an overwhelming spirit of willingness among the people. For instance, first thing I wrote down here, just my observations, there are a diversity of professions willingly engaged in the work. Did you notice that? There's a diversity of professions willingly engaged in the work. For, for instance, mentioned are the priest and the high priest, goldsmiths, Perfumers, city officials, temple employees, city police officers or security officers, and then all kinds of different merchants. Think about that. A diverse group of people working on the wall. No one was too big to work. No one was too little to work. No one was too busy. No one was too insignificant. The people humbled themselves, and they willingly worked together. And when you think about some of the professions that are involved here, you have to know this took quite a bit of sacrifice. Sacrifice from time, of time. Sacrifice maybe perhaps for their own jobs, their own work, their own schedules, just to ensure that the work of God would get accomplished. It, it takes willing servants regardless of what our professions are. And some of you came straight here tonight from the place where you work. Some of you will serve in other areas later this weekend in which you have taken time away in order to accomplish that. The willingness, the dedication of your heart. That's what we're seeing here. Willing servants who regardless of what they did every other day of the week are coming together regularly to work on the wall. There, there's a diversity of professions willingly engaged. I, I made a second observation and that there are families cheerfully serving together in the work. There are families cheerfully serving together in the work. It's mentioned in verse 1 that Elisheba's brothers joined him, who happened to be priests. 
Verse 12, it's noted that the daughters of Shalom joined their father in serving. So here's a dad and his daughters working together. Throughout chapter 3, you look at it, go back, circle them, mark them up. You'll find dads and sons and daughters and brothers and sisters, all kinds of family working together for the glory of God. And what a beautiful sight this is in the church. When we see families worshiping together and serving together and volunteering together. Simon Moody regularly goes to Gary Hastings who invited him to our church many years ago as each family member of his joins. And he says, you know this is your fault, isn't it? But I commend it. What a great thing it is to see our families serving together and working together and ministering together and volunteering together. It's been one of the greatest privileges of my life to share in ministry with my family and now to do that with my own father and even to watch my own children now serve and volunteer and work. By the way, that's not always easy. (laughs) It's not always easy. But there is a unique reward in families cheerfully serving the Lord together. May this simple observation be a reminder to us to teach and involve our families in the work of church ministry. To do everything we can to show them that working on the wall of God's work is a collective work in which we all engage ourselves in. Our families cheerfully serving together in the work. A third observation that I made was that there are people serving where it doesn't immediately or necessarily benefit them. There are people serving here where it doesn't immediately or necessarily benefit them. Now, now this observation was unique. Perhaps you noticed it. It's, It's not just the people inside of Jerusalem who are working. But we notice here that there are brothers and sisters from other places joining them in helping the wall be reconstructed. In fact, we see the men of Jericho coming to Jerusalem. We see the Tekoites, the men of Gibeon and Mizpah, and other people from other places. Think about this. I want you to really get this. It may not have been their city. It wasn't where they lived, worshipped, and worked, but they knew it was God's city. And because it was God's city, they willingly included themselves in the work, even when it didn't necessarily benefit them. I thought about the ministries of our church when observing this. Some of you volunteer your time helping in places that doesn't necessarily benefit you. But perhaps you're a nursery worker, even when you don't have your own children or your own grandchildren who are involved in the nursery ministry. But you willingly serve in places that do not benefit you. I'll tell you what, it benefits me because we can hear the preaching of God's word without distraction. But I get it. Some of you serve in places it doesn't benefit you. Some of you bought and purchased barbecue tickets to send our teenagers to a summer youth retreat, and your teenagers are already grown and gone. But you willingly came together. You supported an endeavor. You, you helped in areas that didn't necessarily benefit you. You come, attend, support the Awana Awards Night when your children won't walk across the stage. Look, I could could go 
on and on. But, but that's the picture here. The picture is being involved in the work of the ministry even when it doesn't immediately benefit us. Even when it doesn't necessarily benefit us. That's the principle. I think about missions with this. We give to missions, but we may never go to those places. We probably won't benefit from their ministries or even see an earthly return on our investments. But we give and we pray. And we try to go and we can because we, we recognize that that may not be our city. It, it may not be our people. It may not be our church, but it's God's people and God's city and God's church. So how can we help? How can we pray? How can we contribute? I think about our desire to see Malcolm launch a Spanish-speaking ministry in our church. Some of us will never benefit from that. I've, I've seen you try to speak Spanish. You'll never benefit from that. But you're already talking about ways that you can support it. Invite your Spanish-speaking friends to come. Volunteer to serve in it. That's the point. That's the point. Be willing to serve where it doesn't benefit you. Be willing to give and contribute in ways that you'll never see it in return. Be, be willing to help with a vision that may not come to fruition until you're already in glory. Everybody is coming together, serving, even if they'll never see it finish themselves. And then I observe that there are volunteers who, who are volunteers here who are willingly embracing their assignments without complaints. They're willingly embracing their assignments without complaints. Now, of course, one thing ought to be extremely clear that there's a lot of organization here. A lot of details are laid out for this collaborative effort. I mean, you got all sorts of volunteers serving in all sorts of places. Some are nice locations to serve, by the way. Some were situated at the Fountain Gate, for example. It's a place, historically, a, a beautiful spring of water would flow just inside the gate. In fact, it was the place just inside the Fountain Gate where the king had his private pools. Now, if I was assigned a location, I'd like to be assigned the fountain gate. Maybe a five-minute break could turn into a little afternoon swim. But not everybody got to work at the fountain gate. If everyone served at the fountain gate, then the rest of the wall would still sit in disrepair. So the people had to be willing. Willing to serve in locations that are not always pleasant, not always appealing, not always beautiful, and certainly not always smelling the best, like the dung gate. The dung gate speaks for itself, doesn't it? It's where the garbage goes. It's where the sewage flows out of the city. Can you imagine what it must have smelled like to work on that part of the wall during the heat of the day? You know what's fascinating? We don't see any complaining about that. Now, I am probably ashamed for not knowing this. I need to ask our nursery directors who it is. But do you know there is someone in our church, whether it's the same person or a different person, either on Sunday or Wednesday, that one of the things they do before they leave is go around to all the nurseries and collect all the dirty diapers and make sure they get put in the dumpster so when we come in on Monday morning, it doesn't smell like the dung gate here. I don't know who does that, but the Lord does. And it's just as important as anything else that's going to be done around here. 
And one of the reasons why I probably don't know who it is is because I never heard him complain about it. I think it's a unique observation. The people are embracing their assignments without any complaints. And then, of course, we have some of those interesting professions involved. You had the goldsmiths and the perfumers. Where did the perfumers come from, by the way? They had to be used to working in clean and comfortable settings. But now they're, now they're willing to get their hands dirty and do whatever is needed to be done, regardless of what work environment they are accustomed to. Not all ministry work is equally pleasant. But all ministry work is equally important. Unfortunately, some Christians only want the convenient jobs. They only want the fountain gate. The ones that's most comfortable, the ones that smell the best, the ones that bring the most recognition. Can you hear my heart tonight? The greatest ability you have to offer the work of God the greatest ability you have to offer the ministry of this church is availability for whatever is needed from you. Whatever is needed from you. Now, perhaps he had them. If he did, they're not recorded. But may God help us not to volunteer for service on the wall by saying, Nehemiah, look, I'll do whatever you want me to do. I just don't serve the dung gate. Now, there was one group that was noted in verse 5 as going against the grain. Verse 5 says that the nobles of the Tekoites would not stoop to serve their Lord. That was a small group, but an existing group nonetheless. And they exist in every, congreg every congregation, by the way. And people who are too good to serve, too busy to serve. People who don't want to get their hands dirty, don't want to get involved in the work. And I think it's interesting how he phrases it. They would not stoop to serve their Lord. They would not stoop to serve their Lord. It reminds us that all service first is service to the Lord. To the Lord. Everything you do in this ministry, everything we do together, it is not for any one of us. It is for the Lord. It's why we give Him our best. It's why we sacrifice our time. It's why we make it all about Him. Because all of our service is first and foremost to the Lord. But service involves stooping down. Did you notice that? They would not stoop. They would not stoop. But that's what ministry is. Ministry is stooping down to places that your flesh is not always compelled to go. I've enjoyed so much seeing the ministry mindset of some of the new families of our church. Just a couple of weeks ago, we asked for some volunteers, those who could, to come out and help us paint. J.R. was one of those. J.R. Melton. Most people don't know who you are, J.R. Raise your hand. Right there in there. That's J.R. Oh, JR's just like me. He's taping up every corner. He's making sure that there's not going to be anything on the wall, even though where the teens were, there was stuff on the wall. And, uh, and he's going back and cleaning it up and all this kind of stuff. And I, I remember in one of those rooms one day, I looked at JR and said, JR, you like painting? He said, Nope. <laughs> not really. Not really. But here he is, willing, willing to stoop to something he doesn't enjoy doing in order to help the work of God. Okay, can I just show you one more thing and then I'm going to go on to the third point? That phrase, stoop to serve the Lord, specifically the nobles of the Tekoites, it reminded me 
that God always keeps a record of those who are unwilling to give themselves to his work for his glory. Now let that just settle. But of all of these people noticed for their works, God makes it a point to tell us who didn't. And I'll leave that to you. Total involvement, willing service. Thirdly, unified purpose. Unified purpose. In other words, there, there, there are no rogue volunteers in Nehemiah 3. In fact, these volunteers would have approached the wall if, if they would have approached the wall at their own leisure and with their own agendas independently of everyone else, especially their leader, then a royal mess would have been made and the work would have never been accomplished. Consider how many times we see the phrase beginning at verse 2. We see the phrase next to him or next to them. In fact, look at it real quickly if you would. Chapter 3 and verse number 2. It says, and next to him. This is Eliashib. Next to Eliashib were the men of Jericho. And then next to them, the men of Jericho, were Zachar the son of Emory, and on and on. In fact, you see that phrase, next to him or next to them, at least 30 different times in Nehemiah chapter 3. That is an overwhelming amount of repetition. But it's there for a reason, to emphasize the togetherness of this work, the unity of purpose. They were working side by side, laboring together. Unity in action. One spirit, one mind, one purpose. And let me just remind us tonight, if we're going to do our own thing apart from the unified purpose, then we're not being true to the mission. Consider our mission here at Laurel. We've summarized it like this, that our mission as a church is to glorify God and exalt his gospel through the preaching of God's word and the fellowship of his church. That's our mission, to glorify God and exalt his gospel. And everyone here Everyone, no matter where they serve, whether they're an usher or a parking attendant, a nursery worker, whatever we do, everyone, everyone needs to be focused on our one mission. We are here to glorify God. We are here to exalt his gospel. Because the truth is, if I get so focused on my little part of the wall, instead of the whole purpose for the wall, then negative things start to happen. I'll become territorial. Well, the fountain gate belongs to me. Why does he keep sending people over here to help me? I've been helping in the fountain gate ministry for 10 years. I don't need anybody else's help. I don't want any more assistance. Who are you to come in here and tell me how to run a soundboard? Who are you to come in here and tell me we need to change keys in that song? Who are you to do this and to do that? I've been working here much longer than you have. We've got our eyes off of the whole purpose of the wall. We've made our little portion the most important part. We've become territorial. And when we do that, we lose sight of or we push against the collective mission. Each part of the wall fulfilled the one goal, and that is to build the wall. And so it is in our ministry. Each ministry serves one function, one part, and that is to fulfill our one purpose, our one goal, to glorify God and exalt his gospel. 
When we start focusing on our little part of the wall, we'll even start to think that our part is more important than the other part. Most of the attention, the funding, even the assistance needed should be brought my way. There are so many things that can go wrong when our minds aren't unified in our one purpose. This church, Laurel Baptist Church, exists to help every person who walks through these doors to see God glorified and His gospel exalted. And we seek to do that so that the same grace that has saved us will save them. The same grace who has made a difference in our lives will make a difference in their lives. We are working together for that one purpose. We are not building our own little kingdoms or isolating ourselves in little groups or trying to start our own mini churches. No, we have one purpose, one goal, one agenda so that everyone who comes in this place will know Jesus and therefore glorify God conclusion of it all, what fueled their ability to work together was their conviction that they were a family. They were a family united under the name of God, set aside for one purpose, which means they had to walk away from their opinions and the personalities involved and even the professions that may have taught them greater skills than the person working next to them. They even had to put their disagreements to the side. Because all of that has to be checked in order for the work of God to go forward for his glory. One spirit, one mind working together. Let me give you a fourth thing. Total involvement, willing servants, unified purpose, enthusiastic dedication. That's the fourth thing that I see here in Nehemiah 3. Enthusiastic dedication. I think this is one of the most obvious characteristics. After all, how can an entire community be mobilized to this level of involvement unless they were enthusiastically dedicated to it. I believe all of them were. But some of them, church family, really were. They were really enthusiastic. They were really dedicated. For instance, in verse 11, it says that Malchijai and Hashab repaired more than one section of the wall. It says the same of Baruch and Merimoth and Benui and the Tekoites and Hanani and Hanan, they all completed their sections and then they enthusiastically took on another section. They went the extra mile. They went above and beyond. Did my part, I'm going home. No, 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 no. They stuck it out. They were happy to help, to do whatever they could to finish the job. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 7 says, Work with enthusiasm as you work for the Lord. Work with enthusiasm as you work for the Lord. And I wonder this evening, are you enthusiastic about the things of God? Are you enthusiastic about the gospel? Would people around you know that you are passionately dedicated to the work of God through this local church? What a tremendous example that this community of God's people in Nehemiah chapter 3 give us of working together for the glory of God. And that takes enthusiasm and it takes dedication. Some of us who haven't been here very long need to know that everything that we enjoy, even if we're growing out of it, did not take place without people who were enthusiastically dedicated to get it done. 
totally involved, willing to serve wherever, whenever, and unified in purpose. A church like ours does not begin with a small piece of land and a building falling apart with 30 people and come to where we are today because most people sat in a pew. It doesn't happen that way. It happens when God's people come together passionately working together for the glory of God. And now we're entering into a new phase. We can't keep sitting here looking back and saying, look at what God has done for the last 15 years. We don't want to forget that. But look, there is more to be done. And God has brought you, this generation of people, to this place for such a time as this because there is more that needs to be built and there is more that needs to be expanded and more ministries done, more souls saved. We have to do more, but it will never get done unless everyone's involved, unless all of us are willing, unless we stay unified, and unless we're enthusiastically dedicated to it. I want to give you two things and we're going to pray. I told you I'd give you five if I had time and I don't have time, but I do just want to mention it to you. If I could add one more to this list, it would be humble leadership. Humble leadership. Which interestingly, Nehemiah doesn't draw any attention to himself regarding the work here in Nehemiah chapter 3. In fact, he makes no mention of himself at all. Now, I know we read a Nehemiah. It's not the same Nehemiah. The Nehemiah in verse 16 is a different Nehemiah. Now, without Nehemiah's leadership, none of this would have been accomplished. I recognize that. But he gives all the credit to the people, and he keeps all the glory fixed on God. And it's a spirit that I believe God always honors. So if we're going to add a fifth one, let's add humble leadership, because it takes humble leadership for God to receive glory in his work. But the thing that I want to leave you with is an evaluation of your work. Are you a spectator or a participator? Are you a spectator or a participator? Because if a major impact is going to be made for the future and the next generation in the kingdom of God here on Plaza Road Extension or wherever God may do with us, we need total involvement. Total involvement. We need the majority to be participating, not spectating. Serving, not sitting. And not involvement on the basis of what is primarily comfortable and convenient for us, but what is best for the one purpose and the one goal. There's a lot that comes to my mind when I go through this and thinking about the future, but there's some things I could tell you about today. We, we could use some more willing people to sit in the choir loft on Sundays. People who may have to acknowledge that it's not their favorite place to be. And of course, if I had to look at my backside for 45 minutes of a message, I wouldn't enjoy it either. But you understand my point. We can hardly find seats for people on Sundays. I need some people willing to sit in the choir loft. I need some people who see the reserve signs and respect them. 
on Sundays, that is. We need more willing servants to do this. Everybody being involved in it. We need more ushers. We need more givers. We need more CDL drivers. We need more children's volunteers. Hey, I need some people to come out during the week to help us kill some weeds. Clean up the dumpster. It's a royal mess. We even got some fence pickets falling apart on the back wall, back fence there that's supposed to separate us from the other border, even though it's just telling us we're about to run out of border. Regardless, it's falling apart. And just a few of us can't do it all. We, we need some more volunteers to visit the sick, to go have coffee with new people in our church and learn about the gospel work in their life, to check in on our shut-ins. I could go on and on, but it's easy in a church like ours where so many people are involved in such a confined space to think, well, do they really need me? Yes. But we need you to be willing to do whatever, not just what you want to do. That's the difference. I can't tell you the number of people that I've asked through the years, will you help me in the children's ministry? You know, the children's ministry is not for me. Well, I get that. I'm not asking you to die there. But I, but I thought you could at least be willing to do something that we need right now. Now, I'm, I'm not mad at anybody. I'm just, I'm just telling you this is all it's ever going to be unless we get more involvement, more willingness, more unity and purpose, more humility, more enthusiasm. That's what I take away from Nehemiah chapter 3. And tonight, may it be a renewal of our commitment to do what we've been doing for 15 years, laboring together, but to pick it up a notch, to work together for the glory of God so that when we're done, we can leave behind to the next generation a vibrant work of God that is still going forward. I pray that the Lord will use those scattered thoughts from Nehemiah 3 to help us. Let's pray together.